Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. I'm Brian Austin Green. I'm Shauna Burgess. And I'm Randy Spelling. And you are listening to Oldish, an iHeartRadio podcast. Hi, everybody. What's up, everyone? Hi, everyone. Hey, Randy. Hi. I'm excited to be here with you, Randy, and I'm excited that we have an amazing guest today. Me too. I, You know, speaking of our guest, uh, there's a lot to get into. I, I was wondering if you have any friends, family members, people who are on the fence about drinking. I mean, I know we're sort of into the new year already. We're in February, but there's always a dry January and people mm. go, okay, I hit it hard at the end of the year and now I'm going to dry out a little, try this thing. Do you have people who talk about that or have you both tried that at all? I mean, we're not big drinkers. I'm, so... I'm drinking like a fish. I've been steadily drinking like a fish for <laughs> years. So <laughs> He's really not. We're not big drinkers no. at all. But I do have friends that are like, oh, you know, dry January or for, for a, you know, a purpose, they decide to go for a month clear of alcohol or two months clear of alcohol just for their body. But we rarely drink that I never feel the need. Like even holiday seasons, I don't feel like it ever gets to a point where I'm like, I'm never going to drink again, or I need to detox myself. You know, it, right. it does. It's that's not it for us. But I certainly do hear the conversations of like, oh, it's January, to, you know, going to do dry January. I'm going to try and do it for three months. Yeah, I think I think when people get on, we've talked about it before. They get on the health kick of like, oh, it's the new year, so I'm going to start taking better care of myself, and they'll they'll kind of jump in. So dry January makes sense, but I think then as the year kind of goes on, people tend to get back into their what is their normal lives unless they've done like some big change and they're really sticking to it? Yeah, we don't we don't drink much, but I've definitely been on like a health healthier kick. We've talked about all of that. But yeah, I alcohol is an interesting, interesting thing. Well, and I think too, as you age, I was talking to someone about this and we were laughing uh, as we were working out 
we were saying, you know, back when I was a teenager, I, I would have a 40 ounce of beer, right? Or two 40 ounces, yeah. wake up, have a greasy breakfast and feel good to go. Now, I mean, I don't drink, but it's like a pizza, a piece of pizza or something. And I'll wake up and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. not feeling my best today. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. If I, mean, uh, do you, if I do have a drink, my, uh, it'll, it can take me sometimes three days to like feel, feel normal again. Yeah. Sharna said you take ibuprofen or something. Uh, preventative. At the end of the night, preventative. Yeah. So you... Preventative after just one drink. Like that's where we're yeah. at, Randy. Before, before going to bed, I'm just like, okay, let me just take a couple just in case. Because the worst is when you wake up with that burning headache at all. Oh, it's the absolute worst. So it's yeah. like, if I can avoid that, I can you know, my, my body feeling like crap the next day I can deal with, I can kind of slow move it and get through it and eat some food and try and like balance it all out and, and get some juice and some, some good solid foods in, but, uh, that headache, oh, I, the can't, headache. Stand yeah. the I can't stand it. It's yeah. debilitating for me. So, but why the question about alcohol? Well, because our guest today, coined the term Sober Curious. She also wrote the book Sober Curious in 2018. Her other books include Material Girl, Mystical World, The Numinous Astro Deck, which I'm very interested in hearing about. Yeah, so am I. And The Sober Curious Reset. She has a new book called Women Without Kids that's out now. Uh, she has two podcasts. Crazy. And her Women Without Kids podcast features research interviews with leading authors, philosophers, healers, activists, anthropologists, and social scientists. Let's bring Ruby in and talk to her. Ruby Warrington. Yes. Hi, Ruby. How Hi, are you? Hi, Ruby. Hi. Welcome to Oldish. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, yeah welcome. Thank you for hanging with us today. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, is that your kitchen? That looks so <laughs> <Yes>. nice. <laughs> This is my like, I live in a, I have a one bedroom apartment. This is my work, kitchen, living room. I am just living for your color coordinated, like that's what in I the, oh my yeah. God, that's my jam right yeah. there. Sharna, yeah. Sharna does Are they that books? as much as possible in her, oh. with her. Oh girl, that's speaking my language right now. Yeah. I love and there's that. my cat. You're getting my cat in the background oh, there yeah. too. Hi, sweetheart. <laughs> this I is love me. That. This is me, everyone. That's Welcome perfect. to my world. This is us too. <laughs> Where are you? I'm in Brooklyn. Hence You're the in tiny, Brooklyn. tiny apartment. Yeah. Uh, very Brooklyn. Yes, mm -hmm. indeed. I mean, are you even in Brooklyn if you actually have space, you know? I, exactly. I don't think you can call it Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I lived in London for a short period of time. And I remember when I moved there from Australia to London, I was like, I'm sorry, this is the closet, right? This is not, <laughs> yeah. this is not the, the whole, oh, this is the whole apartment. I could barely fit a bed in it. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Then try New York and halve that basically. <laughs> 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 but, you know. I, I honestly wouldn't live anywhere else. I spent the past year and a half, well, up until September last year in Miami, in Florida. Yeah. Ooh, and there nice. was space, but there just wasn't the vibe, no. you know? Mm -hmm. like Got to have the vibe. Got to yeah. have the vibe. Vibe. My, Miami is a very different energy. Yeah. Very yeah, different. Sure. And it was, yeah. it, was, it was a great kind of sunny sabbatical post-COVID, mm. et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah, this feels like home. So, so Ruby- what kind of vibe do you go for? And has that changed over the years? What kind of vibe in terms mm -hmm. of where I want to live? Yeah. 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 Your energy you love around you. 
Um, what I realized I really value having spent that time in Florida is really vibrant street life. Like when I moved mm. back to New York and London has this too, and I'm a Londoner, you know, I'm from London. Um, there's a sense walking around the streets that this city is being made each and every day by all of these people who live here, who are just mm. kind of like making stuff happen. Whereas other cities in America that I've spent time in, as well as Florida, it feels much more like the culture has sort of been superimposed. Like here is your strip mall, here is your target, here is your mm. this, here is your that. And of course, that's not true everywhere. But I think what cities like New York and London, which essentially there's something about being walking cities have in common is that there's this real sense of create creativity, but in the broader sense, like human mm. beings making stuff happen, you know, mm, and I, I, I really... That value that I've realized and a lot, for a lot of people that can be overwhelming and they value space and they want more nature and all of those things but I think for me like even in my formative you know youngest years I was born in London but grew up in Suffolk which is a very rural county in England mm -hmm. which is like you know the middle of the countryside and it was great as a kid to be able to just kind of run around fields and we lived on a river and all of this stuff but I remember age eight or nine when we moved to London just being so excited Mm -hmm. um, when we moved back to London, you know, to be around that vibe. So, yeah, I think, I think yeah. a city life like that, um, it so has to lend itself to the life that you're living. Like I remember, um, my ex-wife and I, we, we were in New York for God, four months, um, years ago when, when Noah was born, Noah was a year and a half and the city just it just is not a place to raise kids. Like right. it, it's the, the aisles in the grocery stores are too tiny. People are annoyed when you're taking up space with a stroller. And it's like, what do you, what do you expect me to do? I'm, I'm in a grocery store. I have to bring my baby. Yeah. So I, I've always felt like bigger cities are much more conducive of people that are single or in relationships where it's just the couple and you kind of, you enjoy going out and being, having people around and being surrounded by people. I know for me, um, with, I have five kids now, I wow. want space. Yes. You like, need I, space. You know, I want, <laughs> yeah, I, I need a big car and yeah. I need, <laughs> and I need land, you know, I right. need, uh, a, a, and I need sort of that like kind of quiet comfort and stability. So it's, but what you were saying about like the culture in Los Angeles is very much planted in Los Angeles. It just exists. Mm -hmm. It's I'm, mm -hmm. I'm born and raised in Los Angeles and it's been the same uh, since I was a kid. I, I, I mean, it's, it's transformed a little bit and it kind of changes with the times and all of that, but it's definitely not because it's so spread out. It's right. definitely not as artistic as, uh, as, New York or London or right. any place like that. Well, you know, what's really interesting um, in terms of, you know, not having children and people having fewer children and the population generally sort of declining, that has happened in direct correlation with more people moving to live in cities. Because when space is a premium, people have fewer children. Not only that, it becomes more expensive to have children. And mm. so the more people who have congregated and moved towards these very dense city kind of environments and habitats to live, largely for work reasons a lot mm. of the time, because this yeah. is a glo global phenomenon, you actually see the population declining as cities increase in size, which That's I think so is interesting. really interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, never even, I never even made the connection between that correlation. Right. But I know, I know that cities are just booming. I mean, Manhattan yes. has... 
literally it's every meatpacking district, everything that was like just the tiny part of like the industrial part of the island has become these oh, yeah. high price living areas and people are moving there like crazy. So can we talk about the term sober curious? Because mm. I don't, I, um, I don't completely understand it. <laughs> and I ask this of people all the time. So please explain it to me like I'm five. Okay. <laughs> well, it might not be relevant for a five-year-old because okay, you have so to have some experience. Like, yeah, not. totally. You have to have like, some experience of regular contact with alcohol, probably, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the term sober curious, I came up with that term about, God, it's about eight years ago now to describe what was my own kind of evolving relationship with alcohol. I knew that I was, I, I suspected that I was drinking more than was good for me, but I didn't, I wasn't drinking in a way that looked like alcoholic drinking or problem drinking. I mean, when I even went to a couple of AA meetings, like what I heard and saw there was just not nowhere near my, you know, regular social drinking habit. And yet I had a lot of questions around alcohol um, and how much, how much was too much, how it was really impacting me, what was the true cost of alcohol um why was it so hard to say no in some situations um all these sorts of things and I coined that questioning being sober curious so really to be sober curious is just mm. to allow yourself to question to be curious about, to be curious about, about the way that you're interacting with alcohol I've done quite a lot of teaching already on this subject this year I hosted a retreat I did a talk at Yale Law School actually and um was just kind of questioning people because I hadn't really considered this aspect of it, even though I've been teaching and speaking on this for a long time. But what kind the kind of out, the education that we get around alcohol is even before long before we're of drinking age is often very, very black and white. You're either a problem drinker. And if you're a problem drinker, then you're in lots and lots of trouble uh, or you're a normal drinker. And if you're a normal drinker, well, alcohol is part and parcel of, you know, it's your Write, write a passage into adulthood. It's absolutely part and parcel of your social life, your family life, mm. your professional life. Like it's just this thing. And I think what I realized is that for a, a lot of people who don't identify as problem drinkers or whose drinking isn't necessarily causing them the kind of problems that we think about when we think about alcoholic drinking, there is a lot of questioning and there's a lot of gray area about what problem drinking even is, you know? Something mm. I like to say is that you don't have to have a drinking problem for drinking to be a problem for you. Like, oh, interesting, yeah. I think most of us who drink on a regular basis, and by that I mean anything from like, you know, a couple of times a month to daily, right? Um, we'll have experienced some problems in relation to our drinking. Um, mm. And that's actually very, very normal. And I think that most of us who've taken, you know, periods of abstinence, maybe we've done a dry January will have noticed there are quite a lot of benefits that come from removing alcohol from our life. Um, and so the sober curious approach is really about empowering every individual to really kind of investigate what a healthy relationship with alcohol might look like for them. For a lot of people, that does mean removing alcohol completely because it just feels better. Not because you have to, because you just decide that you want to. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's the sober curious approach. And it's... Um, been amazing to watch that term really kind of um take take off I suppose in terms mm. of people relating to it um yeah the latest statistic 
I heard is that one in four Americans are now familiar with the term sober curious, you know? So oh, that's very cool. I think, Congratulations yeah. on that. That's that's really cool. Cool. But I think it just, it just speaks to how normal it is to question our drinking, you yeah. know? Right. Yeah. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics, in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So where did it end up for you? You said some people, it means cutting it out completely. You went on this journey of being sober curious. You did a lot of research with it. Did you decide that it's a complete cutout for you or do you, is it like an absolutely no alcohol or do you every now and then like at Christmas partake? So I first started questioning this seriously around 2011, 2012. Mm. And over that whole time period, I've just kind of slowly tapered off. And not necessarily with any goal in mind, just I, I've experimented with taking longer and longer periods of alcohol, 
correlating to that, really educating myself and getting very, very conscious about the actual impact of alcohol on myself, physically, Mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally, all of the things. Um, And it sort of reached a point where I just, even on those rare occasions when I did have a drink, I just didn't really enjoy it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I actually realized in November last year, it had been a year since I'd had a drink. And so I don't, I mean, I, I'm I'm not a I'm I'm a never say never sort of person mm. I suppose but at this point I just don't feel any desire for alcohol because the past handful of times I've tried it or I've had some alcohol it just hasn't felt very nice and it hasn't really given me the benefits or the right. buzz that I was looking for which I if you that. had told me if you, the the first book sober curious is dedicated to cocktail girl that used to be my <laughs> name in my friend group I was cocktail girl because okay. I was always the one who could take whatever random alcohol was lying around and, and make, make something, something delicious make something nicer <laughs> that's amazing wow so like, if you had told cocktail girl that I'd be in this position now I never would have believed me and I also like I said this was never my goal it just so happens that it the, my evolution with it has brought me to this place where I just don't desire it anymore So if you were known as cocktail girl within your friend group and you're going through this, like, I'm going to choose to, you know, sober curious, try it for periods of time. Were they difficult conversations to have? Was that difficult to navigate? Even though you were, it seems like you weren't necessarily struggling with addiction, like you need a drink, but you were in social situations. That seems like the tough part for a lot of people in in giving up alcohol is like, okay, well then what do I do if I'm hanging out with my friends and everybody else is having a drink? Just go on. It's just wine. Like, how do I handle this? And and not feel like I'm a crazy person. Yeah. Right. Yes. Very, very challenging. And one of the number one reasons I would say that stops people from kind of get following their sober curiosity, um, because, yeah, it can be really, really confronting to put yourself intentionally in the out group. A lot of us drink, actually, and a lot of us start drinking to fit in, to be one of the cool kids, to be part totally. of the gang, right? Yeah. Um, and so that kind of dynamic follows us throughout life, even when we're, you know, far older and able to, you know, think we're able to really determine, like, what we, how we want to be spending our time, et cetera, et cetera, what's cool, what's not. Um, but no, I mean, I think partly for me, this coincided with me moving to America from the UK. And in a way, I almost got to s- start off with new mm. friendships here in the US on right. a different footing. Create something Which was interesting. Um, but also, I think because the Sober Curious approach, because I've always stressed that this is about me and my choices and it's not about you and your choices. And if anything, you do you. That's great. Like, have fun do whatever I'm, this is not no about judgment, judgment on you I'm not saying right. that alcohol is bad I'm not saying that drinking is bad this is just something I'm doing for myself taking that attitude has really helped mm. but I mean honestly when I first started telling my friends that this is something I was considering the response I would get was but you don't have a problem you don't need right. to stop drinking <laughs> Right. You only ever drink to have more fun. Right. And I was like, yeah, well, you're not and inside you make great drinks. Head. What do you mean you're going <laughs> to <Exactly>. stop? <laughs> you're not in my head at 5 a.m. on a Monday morning, you know, kind of still a bit hungover from Saturday night, looking at the week ahead, wondering what, why, I, why I did that again, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think generally people have been very respectful of it. What has happened, though, is that the way I the things I enjoy in terms of my social life have shifted dramatically. I really don't I really don't enjoy parties like unless there's a real specific reason like I still love a good wedding of course Mm -hmm. of course not everyone loves weddings but I love weddings I'm such a romantic (laughs) (laughs) um but like I don't really like just big 
parties where there's no other activity or reason to gather apart from the drinking. Right. And so I much prefer seeing people one-on-one or in small groups. I love going for walks with people, coffee dates, tea dates, like all of that stuff. I actually had a really nice um, event or hangout last weekend. My friend had organized a little painting party and that was really sweet. Like it was, you know, just kind of the kind of stuff we don't do as adults you know when you start to remove yourself from what I call the dominant drinking culture you start to notice how often we substitute alcohol for fun for connection for all the all the things that we that we actually want and desire we kind of have alcohol almost as like a substitute or a fill-in or a reason to do it you know we don't need a reason to get together and and spend time with our friends but a lot of the time the reason is let's get a drink you know yeah i was wondering i saw on your instagram that you said infj <laughs> and and i was wondering how many people actually are maybe more introverted sensitive they feel deeply and so alcohol or substances are used to mask that to be able to deal with social settings and people because when you are more of a uh, sensitive introverted person it's like the world comes at you and you're an exposed nerve did that play a part in it for you one thousand percent i'm i am a natural introvert like i really enjoy spending time on my own and part of the reason i enjoy and in fact have realized i need solitude built into my week Mm -hmm. is that i do absorb a lot from my environment, whether it's other people's energy, whether it's just the, you know, ideas, whatever it might be. Like I, I'm, I'm a very, I'm a bit of a sponge. Um, and so, yes, I realized that actually being in big group settings where there's a lot of energy, I feel, I feel absolutely exhausted. And so alcohol was a way of numbing that feeling of just being overwhelmed and also giving me energy (laughs) to kind of like get through or sort of like be the extrovert that I wanted to be in those situations what I've realized is there are in the right situations I can be very extroverted and very social but um when it's yeah I get quite overwhelmed and I think actually I think given the bad rap like (laughs) being sensitive kind of gets a bad rap right (laughs) a lot of the time it's not necessarily a celebrated attribute in our world, which praises, um, you know, strength and confidence and self-sufficiency and bravery and all of these things. Being sensitive mm. often is sort of framed as being kind of weak in a way, you know? Mm. And I think or that a lot of us, high like maintenance, yeah. needy, yeah. you know, my husband hates it when I call him sensitive. He's just like, oh, stop, stop saying that. Especially <laughs> we actually, for men Especially too. for men, I think, it, yes. I was called sensitive so much growing up, right? I would cry easily. They'd say, oh, you're so sensitive. You're so sensitive. And it became to me a a put down that you're insulting me by saying that. So somehow I have to stuff all of that emotion. You don't mean anything great in saying that. That's not a compliment that you're giving. You're judging me by saying that, even though someone's not leading with that. And so I would feel that and all that sensitivity that I had, I would just stuff way, way, way down. And then, you know, the alcohol came and substances came and it would be, oh, here's how I can be less sensitive. I can anesthetize myself and numb myself so I could be the life of the party and not feel everyone's emotions. And at some point when you get 
older or old-ish, no matter what age you are, you start to go, you start to be sober curious. Is this mm -hmm. what I want for my life? Do I want to spend all my, my time being numbed out? Mm. So, so I suppose where I was getting to is I think a lot of us are a lot more sensitive than we are sort of allowed to be or have been told that it's okay to be. And the problem that I think we start to realize when we start to become old-ish, whether that's, you know, more emotionally mature or physically just unable to kind of process alcohol in the way that we used to when we were younger, is we realize that when we have been outsourcing our confidence and our extroversion to alcohol, the cost is all of those negative side effects, which, you know, medical science will show, I mean, to get really real about it, alcohol is the third leading cause of preventable deaths in the United States. It's connected to so many chronic health conditions, mm. let alone just the hangovers and the general kind of icky feeling we yeah. feel after drinking. So I think it just, when as and perhaps it's something to do with, as we get older, there is just less time. Like, honestly, time becomes more precious. Mm -hmm. And how much time do I want to spend recovering from drinking just because I felt the need to mask or numb my sensitivity in certain situations. And actually what might my sensitivity, you know, what kind of gifts are also associated to that part of myself? How can I start exploring that part of myself rather than kind mm. of numbing it out? Oh, I love that. What are my gifts? So it's really looking at what can the gifts be of my personality when I don't numb myself? Yes, absolutely. That's 1000% it. And I think in a way, like my move to America, my um, beings becoming sober curious, it also all really coincided. I've been working as a magazine and a newspaper journalist in the UK. I had a pretty successful career, but was feeling quite just a bit of a dead end. I, I wasn't fulfilled and I knew there was more. I wanted to do more. I wanted to have a more creative life and I wanted to explore what that might be. And I think part of me realized or knew that for as long as I was using alcohol in the way that I was, I wouldn't be able to access those deeper parts of myself, mm. um, let alone the confidence, time, focus, clarity to actually be able to mm -hmm. <laughs> bring bring any of my talents to the fore and, you know, put them out into the world in concrete form. So, yeah, it was all very connected to me for me. In many ways. I mean, you're a writer, a speaker, you're a self, you have a self-publishing company, you're a manuscript doula or something like that. I mean, there's so yes. many. You have uh, astro decks? Yes. I created an astrology deck, which teaches you how to read your own birth chart. I mean, I have many. There's, I, have, I have been, okay. you know, I've had five books out in the past seven years, which is pretty um, prolific for anybody's standards. Yes. So underneath or under, behind all of those hangovers was a lot of creative <laughs> energy. Yes. And I think that actually, you know, um, I was I was there with a with a kind of online magazine platform called The Numinous at the exact time that astrology and modern mysticism were really starting to come much more into the mainstream. Um, Sober Curious, as I said, has also really kind of caught a wave of people just questioning drinking and different ways to think about sobriety. And then with my latest book, Women Without Kids, there's also just this huge emerging conversation about why people are having fewer children and and so a lot of, I say all this, a lot of people will tell me, oh, you're so like, you're always on the zeitgeist, you, you're catching the wave of all these big movements. And I think part of that is my sensitivity. I'm 
something there's something about me and the way I see the world that when I'm really attuned can just sort of get a sense for like this is what we need to talk about next you know mm-hmm. and I yeah. think removing alcohol has been essential to me connecting to that I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics, in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Can we talk a little bit about uh, about women without kids? Because that's yes. I, I'm, I'm curious about that as, as well. What where that started? Uh, you know what what connection you have to it? Uh, all of that because I, you know, my life, Sharna's the opposite. Is like very different. Ryan is not a woman without kids. <laughs> no, no, I am not. He's literally the opposite in every right. way. Yeah, yeah, yes. every way. I went from a woman without kids to a woman with with four kids in like in a short period of time and now, and now five. five yeah that was that was a big curve but i i was always aligned with that 
Um, but for you, this was, was this something that you always knew? Did you always feel this for you? Yes. Yes. I mean, I, in the book, I, I remember, you know, one of my, the earliest conversations I remember having with my mother when I was about five years old was just, I was just baffled as to why people were so obsessed with babies. Everyone seemed Mm. to like think babies were the best thing ever. And I just was like, really like, and (laughs) what's so great. And she even said to me at that, and I, she remembers me saying to her at that age, you know, if I ever have a baby mum, I'll give it to you to look after. So it's not like <laughs> at age five that I was thinking, hmm, what do I want to do with my life? I don't think I want to be a mother. But there was obviously something in me, even very, very young, that that sort of didn't aspire to that. Um, and that was only, you know, became more clear as I grew and I got married when I was 27 and immediately everyone started asking me, so when are you starting a family? And I sort of mm. thought, well, I think, I think I just did. That's what we did when we got married, wasn't it? But right. um, yeah. <laughs> if you mean kids, I don't think that's what, I don't think we're going to do that. But then throughout my twenties, I really questioned this impulse in me um, as everybody else questioned, why aren't you doing this? Why don't you want to do this? Isn't it time? You'll regret it if you don't. You probably, you might not feel like it now, but once it happens, you'll love it. You know, everyone mm, who even expresses any question. Oh, absolutely. You should do this. Were you, an, were you an only child? No, I have a younger brother. I have actually two younger brothers. Um, and yes, my my brother always, it's funny. He, he always wanted to be a dad. <laughs> Really, <laughs> and had a had his his kids. My nephew's eight now, so he, yeah. I mean, it's very interesting. As the girl, I'm the one who was supposed to desire that, right? Because I'm biologically built for it, right? Um, right. Whereas it was my brother who actually always really wanted to be a father. Anyway, um, I suppose it was, yeah. There was I did, had a huge amount of questions around this. I really, really thought there must be something wrong with me. For not having this instinct um that I either was biologically sort of wired incorrectly or was just deeply damaged in some kind of a way um and yet I could never talk myself into wanting to be a mum um there are a couple of times when I came very close to sort of convincing my husband that maybe we should just go for it you know maybe everyone's right maybe once it happens we'll love it but something always stopped me and um It was only when I reached my early 40s that I sort of looked around and realized, actually, I knew quite a lot of other women without kids, even though I'd really always felt like I was the only one, you know, Mm. but this woman doesn't have kids. She hasn't had kids. She, what are their, I wonder what their stories are. And I thought this is something we never talk about. There's never been a forum for me to find other women without kids and hear what their stories are, you know? Um, And then I sort of put my journalist's hat on and zoomed out and realized that actually the global population has been declining very, very steeply in literally every country around the globe for Mm. the the best part of the past century. And then I sort of thought, oh, wow, well, this is really interesting because there are lots of conversations about the dangers of imminent population collapse. But then on the other hand, you've got all these environmentalist conversations about where there are too many people. So it just seemed like a really juicy subject. But first and foremost, the impulse to write the book came from, okay, I never wanted kids. How much of that was nature, just how I was made? And how much of that is nurture, the culture and the society and the time that I have grown up in? And what are all the different factors that have informed that decision, which for anybody 
is probably the most important decision you can make whether or not to have a child right um and given you know the gendered sort of um inequality that still exists around child rearing and childbearing mm. it is an even bigger and more um life-changing decision for women and yet still there is this attitude that women are sort of built to be mothers you should just do it you'll be unfulfilled if you don't you'll regret it when you're older and it seemed to me like no this is the this is the decision that we should be thinking about and considering and weighing really really deeply and entering into with a full bodied yes this is something that i truly want for my life so is that is that a bit of like your mission now to sort of destigmatize uh the the situation yeah. for for women that and families that don't want to have kids and, and don't want to do that it seems yes because it seems so judged up until this point it's incredibly judged there's another it's another thing like you know alcohol and addiction it's very very stigmatized um and people have very strong opinions about even though it's one of the most personal decisions that you can possibly make other people feel very entitled to have very strong opinions about it right. so what i also realized in the research i started doing in terms of all of the I'm going to just speak to women for the for the sake of this conversation. First and foremost, about 50% of women aged between 17 and 45, so women who are in the kind of, you know, fertile years, I suppose, don't have children in the United States. So that's a, a large segment of the population. 50%, half. Yes, half. Given that we're starting from age 17, many right. of those women may mm. go on to have children, but at any one time... There's a, a huge cohort of women who don't have children. And yet we're made to feel that we're the odd ones out. It's this weird, odd kind of oddball choice or oddball path. But what I realized is that or what, the, what the research shows is that of those, of all of those women, about 10% are what are, you know, childless due to infertility, have tried to have children and not been able to. About 10% are like me, never wanted it. It's an affirmative yes. And about 80% are what's called childless by circumstance. So life circumstances just haven't played out where it's felt like it's a possibility. They haven't met the right person to co-parent with. They have been, you know, wanting to invest more in their career before they get to the point where they want to have children. They're not financially able and many other sorts of factors that influence it. But, um, so yeah, what I realized is that there are there are many, many people on this path and it is highly stigmatized and not everybody is making a conscious choice. And so how about we try to start treating people with a little more kindness, a little more curiosity, a little more compassion about the different factors that have influenced people's procreative potential, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, and I also really wanted to... Um, create conversations between other women without kids because I knew how valuable it's been for me to find all these other women in my life and actually feel like I had a reason to talk to them about their situation like what happened why didn't you how do you feel about it how do you feel about your future what are your plans for your future like all of this stuff is really big important stuff mm. but there hasn't been much of a forum for us to have these conversations before so that was the kind of impetus behind putting this book out um yeah. Just to create conversation. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I imagine it must be really difficult to be a woman 
and uh, and and be at an age where you feel so pressured to have to do something that is incredibly life changing, and maybe circumstances are such where you might not have the right partner. It might be scary to do it on your own. You don't know if this is even something that you want to do, but you feel that friends, family are just pushing so hard for their own agenda. I mean, what do you mm -hmm. say to women who come to you and go, oh, th thank you. And I don't know what to do. I really don't know the right answer. Is there a a go-to response bearing curious or uh <laughs> yeah. you know they're sober curious is there yeah. sort of a, right. a curiosity list of questions that someone can ask well in the book um it opens with a chapter called the motherhood spectrum where i talk about how rather than it being this very binary yes i definitely want kids or no i definitely don't for the majority of people and there have even been times during my life when i would put myself here as well for the majority of people there's some ambivalence or some kind of questioning and, and that questioning will be very much informed by our life circumstances. So the family and culture that we were raised, raised in, the religious programming that we might have received, our financial situation, our relationship status, our career goals and aspirations, our creative goals and aspirations, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things are going to influence not only our feelings about becoming a parent, but our capacity to take on the vast responsibility of raising a child or children, mm. right? So first of all, I kind of offer people this concept to say there's nothing wrong with you if you haven't been able to make that decision easily or if you're in a deep period of questioning. That's actually, I think, very normal. And at the end of that chapter, I do offer a sort of a questionnaire, which just gives people some questions to kind of dig into to help them maybe get some more clarity about their own feelings. Because the other thing, and this is very similar with the, um, the Sober Curious path, when there's a lot of external messaging whether it's from family and friends, whether it's just from media, you know, images that we see in the media about like what a, what a family quote unquote looks like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it can be very difficult to pass out our own innermost feelings about something and the kind of societal expectations that we're, we're, we're having projected onto us a lot of the time. So, yeah, I mean, with, with anything, with this conversation in particular, I do think it's about vocalizing and being in conversation about it, whether that's with friends, whether that's with family, whether that's with a therapist, like really like take time to get into your, into how you truly feel about it. I mean, the, the fact is, yes, a lot of people are having a really hard time finding someone they want to raise children with. Like this is a big mm -hmm. issue, particularly for like, millennials and and gen z's you know um it's not i think it's quite widely reported that there's a bit of a sort of dating crisis happening and people is are just swiping very hard not, not swiping is not swiping well. is not really conducive i don't think to meeting <laughs> the kinds you know forming the really kind of like deep intimate and vulnerable connections with yeah. people that i form the ideal kind of basis for embarking on that path together um and then of course particularly for, for Gen Zs, the oldest of whom are around 27 now. So definitely coming into this life stage where you're really kind of the time is now sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I call some among this cohort um, childless by climate change because for their generations, the, the looming threat of climate change is actually very, very real. And there's a lot mm. of questioning about the ethics of bringing children into the yeah. world for as yeah. long as governments and industry refuse to really truly 
you know, enact policy that about how we make and consume energy on this planet. Like, mm-hmm. there's definitely that fear for the younger people too. What would you say is a, a like a great response or like something? Because I've and I say this because I've had people ask me even on my Instagram when I've just opened up for general questions. And it's someone that's in a family and within their culture, it's like, you're, you're a woman, you make babies, mm. but they, they don't want to do that. They want to go to law school or they want to do, they don't even know if they ever want to have kids. They don't want to settle down and have babies right now. Maybe not ever, but there's so much pressure from their family being like, what do you mean? This is what we do. This is who we are. How yeah. can they approach that subject with them? How do they, and how do they not? fall into guilt and then end up doing it for all the wrong reasons. Because I think that does happen to people a lot of the time. They get pushed into a corner and they end like to women, sorry. I think they mm. they end up having babies because they think they're just supposed to or their family put the pressure on them. Culturally they're meant to, whatever, continue the name. And then and then what? So how what's a great way for them to start that very difficult conversation with their family? I think this is obviously going to be very individualistic because it really depends on how freely you can speak to your family and how the the level of depth you're able to actually have in conversation with your family. I think actually before even starting those conversations, finding role models who are living the kind of life that you might aspire to for yourself, whether or not Mm. they have children and just kind of finding role models to look to of other people who are modeling, you know, the sort of life you would like to have finding community even if it is just like an Instagram community or a Facebook group or something like that um, where you can speak to other people who are having maybe some of these same conversations just so you can be reminded that it's okay to have questions even if it is just questions do I want this you know not necessarily I definitely don't want this remind whatever ways that you can find to remind yourself that it is valid for you to be asking these questions Um, and once you kind of feel shored up in that then go have the conversation with your family. Mm. If you think to to the degree that you think they're going to be open to hearing from you, it might just be that it gets shut down straight away. And that's obviously a very, very unfortunate situation. Um, But I think this is, this is also about like, this isn't a decision that we're just making for us on behalf of ourselves. This is a decision that inherently involves another human being, i.e. the child that may or may not come into the world. So if your reasons genuinely are, I don't think for whatever reason I have the capacity to be a parent or to raise a child. Maybe it's because I have other ambitions for myself. Maybe it's just maybe it's because I have mental health issues. This is something I'm hearing more and more, you know, Mm -hmm. people really being aware of. Yeah, actually, I have a lot of anxiety. I fear that may be exacerbated in a parenting role. And I'm going to not put myself or my potential child through that and making a choice from that place. So I think reminding yourself as well of like, this is a, this is, this is actually one of the only decisions you can't unmake. And so making that decision because somebody else wants you to, not only is it going to be damaging you, it's going to be damaging that potential child as well. Mm -hmm. And so holding onto that for yourself, as hard as it might be to go against parental and cultural and kind of wider familial expectations This is why I think finding role models, finding other people who you can really kind of like look to for support just to kind of, yeah, help you kind of form your own strong sense of self around this decision, I think is really, really important. And that's another reason I wanted to write the book in a way, just to say, 
it's okay to question this. This is not, this is probably the one decision to not enter into lightly, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. What's what's really interesting in you saying that is it it reminds me, you know, sometimes finding role models as important as it is for you personally, I think it can be so helpful in in somebody dealing with a situation with people that aren't familiar aren't familiar with that situation. So yes. if I could use you as an example when I'm mm-hmm. speaking about it, um, then people can look at you and they go, oh, okay, yeah. So it's not just that my son is insane or my daughter's insane and doesn't want to do it. There are other people, uh, you know, that that have done incredibly well and and feel the exact same way. Exactly. And I mean, I don't know this. I don't know for sure because I'm not a parent, but I think <laughs> that deep down, what parents want is for their children to be happy, right? Sure. And yes. so I think if you can, if you can somehow connect on that level and just remind your parent Mm -hmm. that really this is what's going to make me happy because sometimes I think a lot of that pressure can come from I don't think you're going to be happy I think you're going to be unfulfilled and that might be be, lonely what about when you're old what about when you're old I love having you around now what are you going to do when you're my age like but their own fears and again reminding potential especially mothers who might be putting that pressure on mom my generation has had different opportunities to yours in terms of finding fulfillment, in terms of finding community, in terms of creating financial security for myself. You know, that's a difficult conversation to have too. But um, it's also very, very true. Like aging will look very different for me than it did for my mother, who never had an opportunity to go to college or have any kind of meaningful career. It, 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 when people say to me, who will look, who will look after you when you're old? I say, well, my 401k. Well, thanks. All right, you're right. <laughs> you know, right. it's like my mom didn't have that opportunity. And lots of women of her generation didn't have the opportunity to create financial stability for themselves. So, yeah. so they're operating from a different place and a different yes. belief system because of what they have experienced Absolutely. in their lives and messaging that. I, I, I want that list. I want those various lists because I think, <laughs> Look, I, I I coach people daily, and I think one of the biggest barriers that people have when setting boundaries, when communicating with people, uh, saying something that is difficult, is not knowing the language to use, mm-hmm. not knowing a starting place, and just hearing you say that, Ruby, I could feel myself take a deep breath and go, "Oh, right there. If I if I just had that, then I could go to my mom or go to, you know, this person who's really pressuring me and have this conversation, but I I need a starting place." Yeah. Is that in the book? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's there was one review that came out um and she put the line in. She's like, "I read this book to the sound of many pennies dropping." And that was music to my ears because I thought, "Ah, yes, that that is what you're, that's like giving her the aha moments, the little realizations that she can then apply to her own situation and bring into these conversations to explain not even her decisions, but her questions to explain mm, why she's yes. asking these questions. Mom, mm-hmm. I'm wondering about this though. Can you see that mm-hmm. from my perspective? But what about this though, mom? You know? So, yes, there's lots of, I don't provide scripts. I don't like, um, offering too much kind of prescriptive content in my books, because I am very much about, I want to give you all the information to read, because these, it's this especially is a very, very individualistic situation, right? I want to give, I want to empower people through education 
to arrive at their own conclusions. I don't think it's my place to say, you should say this, you should say this, then say that. Mm, so, right. But I think you are offering a lot of that, right? I mean, you're offering away just by sharing this message, just by taking a look at what it feels so pressured and constricted and opening up space to have the conversation to ask questions that are curious, such as, well, what about this? What, what about, why does it have to be this way? We, we talk about that all the time, um, the three of us, about uh, norms and what was the norm then compared to what it is now. And, it's, and we have all of these mm. examples to show and you are one of them, but it's, you know, in, in the talk of marriage, it's always been the norm of like, oh, you find somebody, you get married, you have kids, like there's sort of a script, mm. of, uh, script of doing it. And then you have uh, you have couples like Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn who have just completely broken the mold on needing to do needing to get married and do it that way, and then it, it forces people to look at it in a different way. And it's it's hard though; it's blazing trails, like you know, constructing a new norm. And that's that's what we're doing, which is it's not easy. But what it's you're doing not. is amazing. I, I love the fact that you've made the choice of saying, okay, I'm going to just educate people as much as possible. I'm not going to, like you said, I'm not going to give them a script. I'm not going to try and because every situation is, they're, they're all different. Everybody has their, their own differences and things going on. So I just want to give them as much information as possible. So then they can make, make their decisions there on, on their own, but an educated decision. Mm. Yeah. And it's very interesting what you said about marriage. I actually think that, and there's already so much conversation around this subject, you know, with conversations about polyamory and kind of like intentional communities. And I just think we're going to see so people forming families in so many different ways mm -hmm. in the future. And I think that's a really positive and exciting, exciting. thing. You yeah, know? <laughs> I love that. Like, I love, I always say like, I'm excited by the change and the growth of things, but so many people, especially from the older generation, are uh, they're very hesitant to see any change and they feel like change is a bad thing and like, oh, you're going against what, again, what are the norms of society and how it's supposed to work? And it's like, it's it's a totally different time. It's a totally mm -hmm. different group of people. And, you know, people argue there, there are so many more people kind of coming out and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and calling themselves transgender or or gay or anything compared to before. And it's like, well, the difference from before is that now people have the space to do that. And it's much more yeah. accepted than it used to be. It's not that now is a different time than it was back then. It's just a necess you know, necessarily with people. It's just that people feel more freedom of being who they are now. Right, right. And that's been that's hard won freedom. There have been multiple civil rights movements that have made those freedoms possible over the past century, right? right. And so yeah. I think we're in the way that people are living lives, making decisions that go against those very deeply ingrained cultural norms, I think we're seeing the results of all of those revolutionary kind of movements that happened in the 20th century, you know, whether it's gay rights, whether it's women's rights. And so, and whether it's, um, you know, civil rights in terms of race as well. Like, I just think we're really see we're starting to live into the potential of those times now. And yes, we're also seeing the backlash and we're seeing a real kind mm -hmm. of, you know, let's let's clamp down. This is dangerous. Yeah. This is going to like fear in the resistance. Too, yeah. Fear right? in the resistance. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't know if we can go here, but... <laughs> You already mentioned astrology, right? So some people might know what I'm talking about, but um, Pluto in astrology is the planet of, you know, real kind of like deep transformation. 
It's just spent 20 years in the sign of Capricorn, which is kind of like government and politics and business mm -hmm. and patriarchy. And it's going into the sign of Aquarius, which is yeah. society. Yes. So you do know about this. Great. Yes. So literally last week, we had this shift of Pluto going into Aquarius. That for me is transformation of society. And I think we're really, like I said, just going to see very, very um, innovative and interesting ways that people are choosing to live, choosing to make family, um, et cetera. And I, and I think that this, that people questioning and bringing children into the world more intentionally. I'm also no in no way, shape or form am I trying to tell anyone don't have kids. If anything, I would love to see it easier for people to have more kids if they want to, you know? Um, mm. But be intentional. But be about intentional. Yeah. Conscious. Make this aware. a choice that you're making because this is like what you want to be your life's work. You know, raising children is life's work. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I hope that the message that comes from the book is not everybody should stop having kids. Not having kids is great. No, not at all. It's like having kids is really precious. And the more intentional we can be about that, the better. I love that. Yes. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married yeah. at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. 
I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to ask you, because you say that you're very in tune and you pick up on these things, your sensitivities and what comes to you and what you end up writing about is that I know this is just your new book that you know that you've just released, but is there anything that you're picking up now that you think might be your next adventure to write about and to dive into? Well, I of love- Of course there is. I could see yes, it. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh... well, no, I just, I was thinking about it because I love that your show is called Oldish. I think the old age is going to look completely different in 20 years time. Totally. And I'm yeah. very interested in, I can already feel the bubblings of, in the same way that we've had all these movements kind of dismantling or shining a light on all these isms that have categorized people and oppressed people in various ways. I think ageism is ripe for Mm -hmm. that kind of attention. I think Mm -hmm. ageism is the one form of discrimination that every human being is guaranteed to experience in our lives. It's fright scary as hell, Mm -hmm. you know? I'm petrified to age and to be old. And at the same time, like what a privilege to age and be old. Right, absolutely. I'm really interested in that. And I love that your podcast is called Old-ish because (laughs) that's kind of it. That's, That's like, that's part of it, you know? What does it even mean to be old? Right. Yeah, we need exactly. that work, Ruby. We need that to come out to the <laughs> yeah, world. Yeah, we do. Please. Dive into okay. that. Okay. Got well, it. thank you so much for being on here. Thank you for the work that you're doing and giving uh, people permission to be curious about things and have these conversations where there could be a lot of pressure and stigma around. You're welcome anytime. How can people find you? Um, I'm on Instagram intermittently at Ruby Warrington. And my website is just rubywarrington.com that has details about my book coaching and manuscript work and other projects and events and retreats. I have a Women With Their Out Kids retreat coming up at the end of March um, at Kripalu in Massachusetts, which is a big Mm -hmm. retreat center in Massachusetts. So, um, so yeah, but that's all, that's all on my Instagram. Amazing. And people can listen to you as well. You have two podcasts of your own, right? Well, there's a Sober Curious podcast and a Women Without Kids podcast. They're both currently on hiatus while I kind of catch a breath. <laughs> um, but yes, the, the back catalogue for both of those shows is there um, if people are interested in these subjects. Amazing. Ruby, thank you so much. It's been so wonderful talking to you. Thank you, Ruby. It's been so great meeting you all. Thanks for having me yeah. on. Bye, Bye okay. Ruby. Bye. Wow, what a cool conversation. We speak about legacy here all the time. What an amazing legacy she is leaving. Like she is just absolutely trying to blaze the trail as far as creating conversation and and normalizing things and making it okay to live in a way that for so long has felt judged and different. Mm. Um, I, I think it's I think it's beautiful what she's doing. I want to pick up one of those decks too. I because 
I, I don't know about you. Everyone is always asking me questions about astrology. Well, what's your this? What's your what's rising your, and what's your, right? I don't know. I can't, for some reason, I could go deep into research. I cannot hold you can't those remember it. elements. I, I can't remember. So if I have a deck where I could, it's sort of like a <laughs> astrology for dummies. I'm sure yeah. it's not that, but <laughs> I need that to to educate myself more on uh, on astrology. Yeah, I'm definitely curious to get her deck as well. That would be super fun. Maybe maybe Ruby should have astrology curious. Maybe she should. Yeah. That could be I think we're all let's reach out to her when this is done. <laughs> like all my... book title. We've got it. Right? Yeah, we've got it. Like all my t-shirt ideas. Here's a t-shirt that has to happen. It has to. It simply must. It simply must. Uh well, thank you everyone for joining. Uh what a great episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. great thank episode. You. I hope. I hope this episode was was as cool for people to listen to as it was for us to listen to and be a part of. I hope it was helpful. We love the fact that you all are here and and you you listen to us and we try and bring you as much information as possible in an entertaining and, and fun way. And um, I have two amazing co-hosts that just just never cease to amaze me in, in the things that you that you guys think about and the way you conduct yourselves. Super impressive. I love you both. I love all of you for listening. (laughs) Thank you. Bye, you guys. Bye, you guys. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Yes, you guys are amazing. Make sure you guys go and follow us on Instagram at at oldishpod. And you can also go and leave us a message at our own hotline, which is 855-OLDISH-3. Make sure and write us a review. Leave us five stars if you loved it. Leave us five stars if you didn't. We love five stars. We love five stars. (laughs) We like five stars. Yeah. See you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. See you next week, everyone. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place 
for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 